This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's go, Brandon! You have never experienced anything like what you're about to experience here today. Five, four, three, two, one. Action! We need to talk. You had better start talking to me now. For every American, this has to be the proudest day of our lives. Well, all that I know is that the intensity of the weather across the board has some impacts as a consequence of the warming of the planet and the climate change. Some of the anti-vaxxers reminds me of what happened 400 years ago when people were clinging to the fact that the sun revolved around the earth. They just didn't believe science. Or 500 years ago when they were sure the earth was flat. It's just like that. 400 people died on his watch from COVID. I'm just saying. But that 400,000? If you want to get 400 people. You want to get to Donald Trump. 400,000 people? No. no. Of what? You're saying 400 people, only 400 people died? That's what I got. Of what? Of COVID. No, 800,000. I'm not reading it right. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I need my glasses. Now, let's dive into this week's edition of What in God's Name is Joe Biden Trying to Say? So I want to thank you all again. And this is one heck of a group of people who have hearts that are as big as heads. Jack Riccardi, 4 till 7. <laughs> News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. Oh, oh, man, that was, that was a tour de force, Don Cooper. They have hearts as big as their heads. That sounds like a medical condition. That wouldn't be a that wouldn't be a side effect of the vaccine, would it? Um, hey, good afternoon. Welcome. Hi, how you doing? Jack Riccardi on five fifty and one oh seven one KTSA and at KTSA.com. And uh, I guess being a host on the view means commas and decimal points can go anywhere they want. Well, anyway, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot of stuff happening. It's happening so fast it can almost get past you, but we're going to try to corral it and round it up and get you home and give you a chance to talk about all this and react to it. I always say, call me on your way home so that when you get home, you're not kvetching and venting and schwitzing to your spouse and your kids and the dog and... That's what I'm here for. That's why I'm here. 210-599-5555. President Biden is in uh, the tornado-ravaged areas today, but yesterday he was talking about um, the unvaccinated. And um, he took a question about uh, some of the court setbacks on his um, vaccine mandates. He actually won a battle today, but he's had a lot of setbacks in the court cases. And uh, the reporter from uh, a television station in Ohio asked him if he was going to uh, back down or continue to fight in court for the vaccine mandates. I want to play you some of what the president said yesterday. Cut number five. And so everybody talks about freedom and not to have a to have a shot or have a test. Well, guess what? And so how about patriotism? How about making sure that you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? What about that? What's the big deal? 
Remember when they accused Trump of uh, telling people that they should inject bleach and Lysol into their veins? When the president of the United States says, get the vaccine so you won't spread COVID, that's crazy. That is not the current opinion. That is not what the science, what the evidence uh, says. First, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the fully vaccinated who become infected can spread the virus to others. And secondly, the president is still talking about a pandemic of the unvaccinated, but as Lancet, the British Medical Journal, and The Atlantic, a liberal American magazine, both pointed out recently, COVID-19 is not a pandemic of the unvaccinated. COVID-19 is a problem for everyone, and it's a problem because of point number one. Because even if you are vaxxed and boosted and you're doing all that and you've done all that, and less than a quarter of Americans have the three shots, but even they can spread COVID according to all the available information. Now, if you're unvaccinated, you might pay a more steep price uh, should you catch COVID. But it's pretty clear that you can't keep calling this a pandemic of the unvaccinated. It's a pandemic of both. And why are we not calling out anyone who says, oh, just get the vaccine and you won't spread the virus? In fact, Twitter has announced, and, you know, Twitter is the ultimate authority on medical information. I, I, I don't go to my doctor anymore. I just look at Twitter when I need to know something. Um, they've announced that they will start punishing users who claim that vaccinated people can spread COVID-19. Well, that is a claim I'm making right now, Twitter. But that's also a claim that the director of the CDC has made. And Fauci has made. And the WHO has made. In fact, here is Dr. Rochelle Walensky admitting that the vaccine cannot prevent transmission. Cut number three. Um, Our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They continue to work well for Delta with regard to severe illness and death. They prevent it. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. So if you're going home to somebody who has not been vaccinated, to somebody who can't get vaccinated, somebody who might be immunosuppressed or a little bit uh, frail, somebody who has um, uh, comorbidities that put them at high risk, I would suggest you wear a mask in public indoor settings. It's interesting how she says that, and I'm not trying to nitpick her, but she says something it can no longer do. Does that mean that at one time the vaccine could prevent transmission? I, I think that's a misstatement. What we have learned is that being vaccinated, which again seems to have some benefits, does not include the benefit of not spreading, of, of becoming a non-spreader of COVID. Why are all of these pro-vaxxers repeating this lie? Why are none of the reporters at these events interviewing Walensky, attending Joe Biden's news conferences? Why is no one calling this out? And, and Twitter is now saying, we won't even allow you to say that vaccinated individuals can still transmit COVID-19. I want to play for you the, 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 the brief history of how the uh, talking heads have talked about the vaccine and spreading and the benefits of it. Listen to the message evolve, and this is over the last several months. Cut number six. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. These vaccines 
are highly, highly effective. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. They're really, really good against variants. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. Get your first shot, and when you're due for your second, get your second shot. Our key goal is to stop the transmission, to get the immunity levels up so that you get almost no, almost no uh, infection going on whatsoever. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're not going to be in an ICU unit, and you're not going to die. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. You know, we didn't have vaccines that block transmission. We got vaccines that help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce the transmission. So we need a new new way of doing the vaccine. The level of virus in the nasopharynx of a person who's vaccinated and infected is the same level as the level of virus in the nasopharynx of an unvaccinated person. Reports from our international colleagues, including Israel, suggest increased risk of severe disease amongst those vaccinated early. And if you look at Israel, mm -hmm. which has always been a month to a month and a half ahead of us, they are seeing a waning of immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalizations and to some extent death. The booster might actually be an essential part of the primary regimen that people mm. should have. I wonder what they'll be saying about the booster in six months. <laughs> I mean, look, I I'm just pointing this out. Um... These are the same people, all right? We, we rounded up the same people. So you had President Biden, you had Dr. Fauci, you had Bill Gates, uh, you had Dr. Walensky. You won't get COVID if you get the vaccine. Not true. You won't carry it if you get the vaccine. Not true. You won't transmit it if you get the vaccine. Not true. It's good against the variants. Not always true. Uh, this is how we will get back to normal. Not true. You won't be hospitalized if you're vaccinated, declared the commander-in-chief. You won't die if you get vaccinated. Now, I understand that sometimes people just choose their words recklessly or they s flub, but the pattern here has established, uh, the, the established pattern here is that you you can take whatever they're saying today and know that in three months or four months, they'll be contradicting themselves. They are at war with themselves. They are, they are debating themselves. How is any of this science if it's only temporarily true? And again, now Twitter is saying, we're not even going to let you talk about this. Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. Yesterday at the news uh, briefing... Press Secretary Jen Psaki revealed that the White House plans to commemorate the anniversary of January 6th. You, you, you knew, of course, that January 6th was not a single-use uh, political tool. You, you know that they, they need it going into 2022. They need it very badly. They need it more next year than they needed it this year because it's how they're kicking off and how they're centering 
the Democrats, that is, their campaign to stay in power next year. So, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a commemoration. I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that. It got me to thinking, though, about all the other dates that are coming up that the White House ought to also commemorate. If you're going to commemorate January 6th, because it was really awful and terrible and we should never forget what happened that day, then we should also commemorate August 26th, when that comes around next year. August 26th was the Kabul airport suicide bombing that killed 13 service members and nearly 200 people. We should commemorate December 14th, yesterday, because that's the day that the COVID death rate under President Biden equaled the COVID death rate under President Trump. When President Trump left office, there were approximately 400,000 COVID deaths in the United States. In Joe Biden's first, what, 10 months, 400,000 COVID deaths. The candidate who promised, and I'm not sure anybody believed it, but maybe somebody did, that he was going to end the virus. Or what if the White House commemorated last Saturday, December 11th? Last Saturday, December 11th, in Mission, Texas, a mother and daughter were driving in their SUV, going and running some pre-holiday errands, when they were plowed into by an 18-year-old driver. But not just any 18-year-old driver. He was trafficking illegal immigrants. Killed both the mother and the daughter. Will the White House commemorate future December 11th? Or maybe January 20th. That was not only President Biden's inauguration, but January 20th is the day he signed the Keystone XL pipeline killing executive order, which killed about 20,000 jobs outright, many more indirectly, uh, led to higher gas prices, higher transportation and product prices, and really put us in a position of dependence on countries who hate us, a dependence we had just recently finally gotten out from under. So January 20th would be a good day to commemorate. Or maybe they could commemorate all the different dates on which Joe Biden has told his Amtrak lie, you know, the one where he went a million miles on Amtrak and Angelo pinched his cheek and he talks with the Italian accent and it's all it's all made up. None of the dates and events align. The guy he's talking about had retired 15 years earlier. I mean, none of it works. None of it's true. Could we commemorate that? Because it's a whopper. Just throwing out some other dates. Yeah, I, I, I just, I think that um, th- there's just sort of a transparent phoniness to commemorating January 6th. You commemorate something because it was a positive event, or you commemorate something because there was heroism, or you commemorate something um that that united the country even though it was tragic and horrible like maybe the pearl harbor attack which we really don't commemorate very much anymore um but for the democrats to try to run with this football again next month i mean they're free to do it i think people can see right through it and it's it's obvious when you have the president last night at the democratic party's holiday dinner uh, doing this cheerleading thing. We're going to win next year. Look out, Republicans. You're in trouble. I mean, that's all whistling past the graveyard. The reason, the real reason they need to commemorate January 6th is because they have to talk about Donald Trump. Because running against Trump is the only thing they have. And January 6th allows them to, you know, resurrect him, if you will. I also think we were just talking about this, Don Cooper and I, and he made a great point. I'm going to steal it from him. 
Uh, Don said the reason they talk so much about Fox News is because Fox News is a stand-in for Donald Trump. When you say something negative about Fox News, it's like by proxy you're talking about Trump. I think that's right. Uh, this is a party that's whose, whose ideas are unpopular, whose policies are unpopular, whose presidency has been a disaster. It's hitting people where they live. It's not, it's not me telling you he's a bad president. You're experiencing the negative uh, byproducts of, of his policies. So, yeah, January 6th, they're hanging on to that like a life preserver. We'll talk about that. 210-599-5555. I I sometimes wonder when I think about my childhood if maybe I should just ask for a a refund. Do you ever feel that way? When I was a kid growing up, they spent a lot of time, and by they I mean the media, the culture, the schools, they spent a lot of time preaching and teaching be colorblind. Don't see the color of another person's skin. Look past it. Look through it. See the human being who's just like you. They did this with remarkable consistency and ardor and, I would say, success. Our generation was brought up that way. We presumed that was the realization of Dr. King's famous uh, you know, vision, right? That boys and girls would play together and wouldn't see the color of one another's skin. So, um, I want to tell you a story and and see how this grabs you. Because like I was saying before the break, when I was in school, when I was a little kid, everything from mom and dad to the church to the teacher to the after-school special, everything around us in the culture, in the, in the water that we were swimming in, was be colorblind, don't see color. See past it, see through it. See the, see the kid next to you, not the color of the kid's skin. Don't see the differences, or if you see them, embrace them. And we were, we were good at it. We did it. We, we loved it. We loved our, our playmates and our schoolmates, and we loved being colorblind, and we were proud of it, and we carried it into our adult lives. And now I, I read this crap, and I don't know what, what was it all for. Pardon my language. The Denver Public Schools is defending a segregated social event called Families of Color Playground Night. A spokesman for the school system says school leaders were only meeting the request of some black families who wanted segregated playground time. Quote, some of these families shared with us that since the only time many of them see one another as a drop-off and pick-up times, could we host some events where only black families meet one another, connect with one another, and share their experiences, says so-and-so with the school system. The Denver schools say we were just honoring their request. Uh, but when the story hit the news, there was a lot of blowback and a lot of uproar. And now, a law professor at Denver University, Dave Kopel, says that this may be a violation of Colorado's state constitution, which says, in part, quote, uh, nor shall any distinction or classification of pupils be made on account of race or color. So I don't know if I believe that black families wanted this, because it, it sounds like something that white liberals want. It sounds like something that guilty, guilt-ridden white people want. And so let me put the question to you very honestly. If you're black, if you're Asian, 
if you're anything but white, if you're Native American, is this what you want? I mean, just tell me. I won't get mad. I won't, I won't try to change your mind. I won't argue with you. Do you want your kids only to play with other kids their color? Is that? Am I missing something? Is that really what people want, and I'm just behind the times or a weirdo? 210-599-5555. And so you'll understand my confusion, like I said, my whole life. We were taught, told, instructed, preached. And I'm sure this is true of you if you're around my age. If you're over 40, you know what I'm talking about. Don't see the color. Do they even quote Martin Luther King anymore? I know we have a national holiday for Dr. Martin Luther King, but it's it's funny how the more we honor him on the calendar, the less we honor him in action. The whole point of his vision was boys and girls, black and white, holding hands, running in the playground, climbing up the trees and swinging on the swings. And I, What happened to that? Why was that so important for decades? And now we've thrown it all away. And I just, I'm not sure I believe that this is what families of color want. You'll have to tell me, because I'm not buying it. 210-599-5555. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I get that people congregate with people that they're familiar with and comfortable with. We, we all do some of that. You know, I, I had the experience, um, I walked into a room yesterday at the radio station. We had a little holiday get together and I walked in and I did that thing that you and I have done ever since we were in high school. You know, when you go into the cafeteria, you look for a table where there are people you know. <laughs> That's what I did. I looked. I felt like I was back in high school. I looked for a table with people I knew. Oh, there's Trey and Arnie, and I'll, I'll sit with them. I, I get that part of human nature. I'm not in denial of it. But is this what parents want? I want my kid at the playground to only be with other people his color. That's what the Denver schools are saying. Oh, we just gave them what they wanted. 210-599-5555. Steve is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Steve, good evening to you. Jack, good evening. Once again, you are spot on. Uh, this just reeks of the stench of white liberals. I have a term that I that I use and that I've been using. Uh, real Americans in real America. Not the phony Democrat American America that they paint every day. Every day, every minute, every hour, they they just love it. They they swim in it. But I was uh, I, I had called Sean a while back. I went to uh, Pancake Joe's for breakfast and met a friend that I've known for a long time. Who is we could not be further apart in the spectrum of politics. And we were sitting. I'd never been before. We were having breakfast, and as I looked around Pancake Joe's over by Ingram Park Mall, I saw the the variety, what do they call it? The diversity of people there. And uh, we were just ordering and we were sitting there and I said, man, I can't believe it. This place is bad. He said, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, look at all the racism in here. And I saw him look up (laughs) and he looked around and he saw what I saw, which was all the diversity, people enjoying and laughing and, and, and breaking bread with each other. He and I met at a birthday party a couple of months back uh, for a one-year-old mixed-race child. 
and I and I, I, I we were having a good time, you know, having a couple of cold ones, and I, I made the same comment, man. This I'm going to yeah. have to leave. Look at all Look this at racism. All the, yeah. Yes, That's a great sir, point. Yes, great way to say it, Steve. We, Thank you. Very we, good point. Uh, Alex is on KTSA. Alex, good evening to you. Hey, good evening, Jack. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, you know, as you were talking about this, you know, the two two movies really jumped into my my head: To Kill a Mockingbird and A Time to Kill. Okay, and both have kind of the same underlying story. You know, in A Time to Kill, we have you know they're trying to pin something on the black guy, you know, and to kill a mockingbird, exactly, or excuse me, a time to kill the exact opposite. But, you know, it comes down to if you're just looking at somebody's skin color because you hate them for that skin color, I don't get that. I just really don't. It, it just, we did grow up in the same era, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm well, here's what I'm trying to understand. Um, when we were raised that way, that felt like progress. And now you're telling me, oh, no, 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 people don't want that. So what I'm missing is what happened in the meantime. If, that's, if that was progress... Um, why, if, and, and, and if it's true that, if it's true that families in Denver say, we can't, we can't have all these kids together on the playground, I just want to know what, what happened? What, what did I miss in between? Because this is a contradiction to all of that. And you're seeing more and more of it. And, uh, Molly is on KTSA. Hi, Molly. Hi. So here's my perspective on it. And I, I'm white, but I'm married to a black man. And I have biracial children. Um, black and brown children, the narrative that's given to them through CRT and through the media is that they are less than. That their experience, their human experience, is to suffer more than a white kid's. And that there's a need for them to have shared experiences mm-hmm. with kids of the same race. Mm-hmm. Um my husband and I don't subscribe to that theory at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to have a hum- to have the human experience is to experience suffering. And the difference is, I can't, nor can any other white person, blame that suffering on our skin color. Mm-hmm. And from what we see in our school systems, is a it's a push from the media and from other white people that these kids can't relate to their white peers because their white peers don't understand the black struggle. And that pushes a narrative that they need to segregate themselves. Okay, so you can imagine, you're not defending it, but you're saying you can imagine that based on what these kids have been taught, they might really want this kind of a single-race playground experience. Oh, they're being taught to feel like that's the only way they can fit in. Mm Mm-hmm. That they would feel, if they had to play on the playground with all different races, they would be made aware of their victim status or whatever it is, and they wouldn't have as good a time, in other words. Correct. They would be constantly reminded by the presence Mm -hmm. of white kids Mm -hmm. that they are less than. Mm -hmm. And I've had this argument with with my family, with my black family, that, you know, I'm in their eyes, a racist, because I don't subscribe to the theory that black people are less than. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that is the narrative that's being taught. And the things that are communicated to me mm-hmm. as a white woman is you don't understand the black experience. Yeah. Boy, Thanksgiving dinner that. must be interesting in your family, Molly. <laughs> if you're having these kind of discussions with your family, that must be a hell of a discussion. But I, I think you make a really good point, and, I, and it does. It, it sheds a little light on this for me. I think we both agree it's still a very sad turn of events. But um, you're, you're saying they, they put the idea in the kid's head, and then they said, well, now we have to do the single race night because this is how kids feel. Yeah, well, that's how they feel because you made them feel that way. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. And All right, Molly, thank you. Appreciate the call. i got to hold you there because we're up against the time break. Uh, what's going on uh, with the mayor of San Francisco? Uh, London Breed is her name. Uh, and, you know, last year, London Breed was just another progressive big city Democrat calling for the defunding of the police, blaming the police for racism, for crime. But something happened. Something has happened to her, with her. Uh, she sounded like a totally different person when she spoke about the rampant crime problem, the smash-and-grab phenomenon in the city of San Francisco yesterday. Take a listen to this, cut number seven. And it's time that the reign of criminals who are destroying our city, it is time for it to come to an end. And it comes to an end when we take the steps to be more aggressive with law enforcement, more aggressive with the changes in our policies, and less tolerant of all the bullshit that has destroyed our city. We are going to turn this around. This is a city that has a population of less than one million people with an over $12 billion budget. The residents of this city have been extremely generous in providing us with the resources we need to make a difference. And now, the priorities we need to make must be to protect them, must be to turn things around in their neighborhoods. When you are in a room full of people, I would say probably anywhere between 90 and 95 percent of folks could raise their hand and say that either their car has been breaking into, broken into, or they've been a victim in some capacity or another. That is not okay. That is not acceptable. And so, today, I am saying, if you elect me your mayor, but, but, you, but you are the mayor. You've been the mayor all along. You were in office when this all started. You egged it on. You said it was part of what America needed to do to get right with its racial past. Racist past. You were one of those mayors that that had a never-ending ex- list of excuses for not protecting people's lives and property. You blamed the victims. She she would go on and on last summer during the BLM rioting about how there were a lot of people complaining about being victims of crime, but they were also people that had been privileged. They had privileged lives, you rich San Franciscans, you you tech people. And listen to her now. What happened? This is bullshit. We're not taking this anymore. It's like she's running against herself. London Breed has come out in opposition to London Breed. Now, 
when I hear this, and we've now heard it in a number of places, right? I think, and I want to see what you think about this, and and, and feel free to disagree with me because I, I I'm only guessing. I've thought for the longest time, well, they must be looking at internal polling. So I'm very cynical. I figure these are people that are looking to their next campaign, their next election, and they're worried. They've seen the numbers, and they're losing their base. The people that love them for other things, the people that love rainbow sidewalk crosswalks and, you know, having your city be a party to the Paris Climate Accord and all the bells and whistles and window dressing of progressive politics, those people are now saying, yeah, but I don't feel safe. I don't like this anymore. And and so politicians are freaking out. Is that what's going on? I was talking about this with a friend of mine last night who you should know is very left. And he has a different take. He thinks that they're having basically a conversion moment. That London Breed, we specifically talked about London Breed, that London Breed is basically having like a road to Damascus moment. She's she's seen the light. She's She gets it now. This is what he was telling me. And he was saying you should be glad. Why don't, why don't you welcome her, Jack? I mean, you, you want politicians that make cities work, that take responsibility for making a city work? That's what she now sounds like. To which I replied, well, A, I'll believe it when I see it. She's talking a good game. She dropped a couple of swear words, you know. But what's she going to really do? And secondly, I'm I'm still pretty sold on the polling idea, <laughs> to be honest with you. You might be able to convince me otherwise, 210-599-5555. But I, I, I just, I think they are worried about their own hides and their own trajectory. I don't think she suddenly cares about the million people she's referring to. I mean, I'm not saying she doesn't care about anybody. She she cares about her base. She wants to be reelected. But do I do I think London Breed suddenly saw the light? No. Do I think Gretchen Whitmer, who said, you know, we're not going to do another statewide mask mandate, do I think she suddenly has had a conversion moment now she's a moderate Democrat? No. I think she's looking at, at her reelection next year, which is in some real jeopardy. What do you think? 210-599-5555. What's happening to these uh, progressive politicians that are calling for aggressive policing? By the way, that you can call for it, but there's two more things you have to do. You have to pay for it. You have to put the money back. You promised you'd put it into other things. Remember we were going to send social workers and stuff like that? Remember the CHOP and the Chaz in Seattle? Oh, we're having a summer of love up here. Come on, everybody. Wear flowers in your hair. The other thing you have to do is you have to mend fences with law enforcement because they don't trust you. They hear a speech like this, and they've got their arms folded. Oh, yeah? Really? Isn't that something? Listen to her. So they're not just going to snap to it. Oh, yes, ma'am, we'll get right out there and roust these troublemakers and these ne'er-do-wells. We'll knock some heads. You got it, Mayor. That's not going to happen. Law enforcement's a profession. They have a lot of dignity, and they have a lot of um, pride. And they have lost 
whatever respect they had for politicians that were throwing them to the wolves last year. And they did. You can't just... You can't just say, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again, or we're all good now, right? No, I don't think so. Tell me what you think, 210-599-5555. So they're starting to talk to the jurors in the Jesse Smollett case, or as Dave Chappelle likes to call him, Juicy Smollett, and I, I love that so much, I'm almost thinking about using it, Juicy Smollett. The only um, African-American juror, there were a couple of uh, alternate Jurors, but the only African American juror on the actual 12 person jury, um, has done an interview. Um, Andre Hope is the juror's name. And he said something interesting. I want to share this with you. Um, he said that there was one thing Jesse Smollett did that he could not get past. When he went to the police and he told them the story, the MAGA people beat me and they poured bleach on me and they yelled epithets at me and they put a noose around my neck. He says, and this is with an interview with WLS Television in Chicago, as an African-American, I'm not putting that noose back on. He says he could not believe, he could not process that Jussie Smollett put the noose back around his neck to show police. He said it would just be instinct to rip it off and take it off. So he said it wasn't just that. I mean, the evidence against Smollett's story was overwhelming. The counter-narrative of Smollett's lawyers that the Osendero brothers were the bad guys didn't hold up. But he said that noose thing really bothered him. He said just... Anyone in my shoes would rip that thing off and not be able to put it back on again. And that makes sense to me. You know, Jonathan Turley wrote a piece, the law professor, he wrote a piece, um, I think it was for USA Today, um, about what this case and the verdict in the case uh, means. And um, he quoted... Uh, the movie, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. It's a great line. We've used it before on this show. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. And he made the point, this is Turley, that the guilty verdict was not a surprise to anyone who was following the evidence in the case. The guilty verdict was only a surprise to people who were following the legend. And we talked about this when the verdict came down. I I think Jesse Smollett crafted a legend that had a reasonably good chance of flying in in this day and age. He wasn't wrong to think he could pull this off. It just didn't work. But it's the kind of thing that could work and really very nearly did work. And we've already gone through all of the tweets and sound bites uh, from people who have nowhere to go with the ridiculous prejudicial things they said in the hours and days after the alleged attack. See, 
Jesse Smollett wasn't the only one being opportunistic. Everybody makes a big deal out of, well, he was trying to build up his career, and he was trying to make money, and he was trying to become more famous, and maybe establish himself with this legend. But so was Cory Booker. So was Kamala Harris. So was Joe Biden. So was every anchor on CNN and MSNBC. They were all using his legend, his story, just like he was. And if he pulled it off, for himself, he was pulling it off for them, too. And we talked about the Robin Roberts interview on Good Morning America. Robin Roberts is somebody I really like and I respect. I respect her as a person. I respect what she's been through personally. But her interview with him was unbelievable. She didn't have the slightest curiosity about the obvious gaps and red flags in his story. And at the end of the interview, she praised him by saying, beautiful, Jesse, thank you. Like he had given a performance because that's what he had done. She might as well have stood up and applauded. See, it's easy to dismiss this because we we can say actors are kind of, you know, well, let's not take them too seriously, Jack. They're actors, you know. But there's more than actors doing the acting here. We're, we're having an ongoing play performed in front of us. It, this ties into the Denver playground story. They're staging a play. The facts don't support it. Molly's call made that pretty clear. But there are people that want to believe. Just like when you go to a play or you watch a movie, if you want to believe it, you get caught up in it and you actually cry when things happen or... Get invested in the characters. That's what a great performance does. That's what's happening with race in this country. We're witnessing a great performance. Jesse just blew a few of his lines, missed a couple of his cues, or he would have made it. 210-599-5555 here on KTSA. Uh, Jonathan Turley concludes his uh, piece quoting George Orwell, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. In a way, the jurors in the Jesse Smollett trial were the revolutionaries, right? They put their heads down and did their job. And Turley makes the point that this is one of the um, great things, great features of Western civilization, trial by jury. If you think about it, only a jury... Only a collection of randomly selected, a dozen randomly selected people who aren't part of the system, who aren't playing a role in the production, right, could have done the job they did. They showed integrity. They showed courage. When our leaders, both political and media, couldn't do it, all failed. And and, and haven't even corrected themselves since I guess that's why going back to the London Breed story I don't think I really believe that she's having a conversion moment because when you have a conversion moment you can't you can't shut up about it I don't mean to be disrespectful but like when people are born again in the Christian faith they talk about it a lot 
And if it, given the slightest prompting, a born-again Christian will tell you his or her story. I, this is how low I was. This is how bad it was. This is how ashamed I am of what I, what I did and where I was and what I thought. And, and then this happened and that happened and I did this and I did that. And now I want to tell everybody about it. If, if, if we were to have that kind of a moment after Jesse Smollett, we'd be having a national conversation with people who believed him utterly, saying, I, I blew it. I was wrong. We need to look at why I believed this. We need to look at the damage we did by telling everyone to believe it. But they're not doing that. And they're not being held to that. Because the people that would hold them to that standard, the people that would make a Joe Biden or a Kim, uh, I forget the name of the uh, district attorney out there, Kim Fox, that was it, would be journalists. And they aren't doing it because they bought in too. I want to believe the conversion thing. I really do. And I do believe a lot of people go through redemption and conversion. I'm not saying I don't believe in that as a, as a concept. But I, I'm not sure I believe that's what our public officials are doing right now. I, I, I think it's more about self-preservation. So in the case of crime-ridden cities, all of a sudden we need police. In the case of Jesse Smollett, well, yesterday on The View, they couldn't remember his name anymore. So. 210-599-5555. All right, on the JR poll tonight, powered by Stevens Roofing, the FDA has approved... Um, eye drops that can take the place of cheaters, of reading glasses. You know, the half glasses you buy at the CVS for five bucks or something. Uh, if you use readers, these are drops. They're, they're uh, marketed under the brand name Viewity that give you, uh, they promise to give you six to ten hours of enhanced, uh, close up view. And people that have used it say it, it changes everything. You put these in, give them a little time to work, you don't need your cheaters. Would you try eye drops that took the place of reading glasses? That's our question on the JR poll. FDA approved. What do you think? Do you know who Billie Eilish is? Are you familiar with that name? Billie, ask your kids or grandkids, they'll tell you. Billie Eilish is a huge pop star right now. Incredibly talented, sings, writes a lot of songs, um, at a very young age, was chosen to do the James Bond theme, No Time to Die, did a great job with it. Her music may not be your cup of tea, but she's a tremendously talented artist. She did an interview with Howard Stern. They talked about a lot of things. Now, mind you, she's 19, give or take a year. I believe she's 19. So she does an interview with Howard Stern, and she talked about porn, which not surprising right on Howard's show. But, but she said that she watched a lot of porn when she was a kid. She started watching porn when she was 10. I don't need to tell you how. The phone. And she says, it destroyed my brain. I feel devastated that I was exposed to it. I think porn is a disgrace, she said in the interview. I'm so angry, she went on, that porn is so loved, and I'm so angry at myself for thinking that it was okay. She went on and talked more about it. You know, I give her a lot of credit for saying this, because she is incredibly influential 
to a lot of young people. Her saying this will cause a lot of her fans to question or at least think about what they're looking at. I hate to say it, but our power to influence that is limited. I mean, you can, you can say, well, I'm not going to get my kid a phone. That's cool. Doesn't mean they can't look at it on somebody else's phone, and they will. Um, you, we, can, we can raise our kids with values, and we can, we can uh, teach them right and wrong. But if we're honest with ourselves as parents and grandparents, if, we, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we should be, the, the influence of somebody like Billie Eilish is in a category all of its own. And I was surprised to hear her say this. And I was glad to hear her say it. And I think she should get more credit for it. If we were a culture that was a little healthier about respecting people and calling people out for the right things, she'd be getting a lot of praise right now. I don't know what will happen, but she's getting it from me. 210-599-5555. By the way, how about those eye drops that would replace your reading glasses? i gotta, I got to admit, I have become a reading glasses user in the last year or two. I was really proud. You know, I passed 50, still didn't need them. I was kind of, I feel a little smug about that, if I'm going to be honest with you, because I knew a lot of people that were using them, and I saw people using them, and every year when I would go for my eye exam, the eye doctor would ask me, and I would smugly tell her, Oh no, I don't I don't I don't I don't need them. Well, last couple of years I've needed them. And uh so what do you think? These are eye drops that you put in and they are supposed to give you 6 to 10 hours of capacity. They're expensive, but a lot of people say they beat wearing cheaters. Would you wear them? Would you try them? I like Rand Paul. I've liked him for a long time. I think he's uh, not only do I agree with him on a lot of things, but to me Rand Paul comports himself in a in a classy way he makes his point he's forceful about it he's unapologetic about what he believes and he doesn't uh, resort to personal attacks or coarse language which is why i was surprised that people thought he was attacking or personally insulting congresswoman ilhan omar in what he said recently about her so i want to play this for you see how this grabs you this is Rand Paul sort of making an offer to Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Take a listen. I'm in a town where we have a lot of people who are refugees who have come, some from Somalia, some from Bosnia. I've never heard one of them say that America's a terrible place or be unappreciative of our country. Most of them are thankful. I've met people who have come here from behind the Iron Curtain that got away from communism. They're some of the best Americans we have because they really appreciate how great our country is. And then I hear... Representative Omar say, oh, America's a terrible place. I'd love to be justice, and there's no justice here. It's like, well, she came here, and we fed her, we clothed her. She got welfare. She got school. She got health care. And then, lo and behold, she has the honor of actually winning a seat in Congress, and she says we're a terrible country. I think that's about as ungrateful as you can get. And so while I'm not saying we forcibly send her anywhere, I'm willing to contribute to buy her a ticket to go visit Somalia. And I think she could look and, and maybe learn a little bit about the disaster that is Somalia that has no capitalism, has no God-given rights guaranteed in a constitution, and has about seven different tribes that have been fighting each other for the last 40 years. So he didn't say, why don't you go back where she came from? 
which which obviously is what some people heard, but he doesn't say that, right? He says, I'm not telling her to go, but I would be happy to help pay for her to see, to visit. I mean, it could be a round-trip ticket. That's how I took it. How do you take it? 210-599-5555. Um, because he also makes a good point that a lot of people who've come to this country have a perspective on it that is hard to have when you've always been here, when you haven't known anything else. You know, we can get ourselves all lathered up about how awful things are and how terrible the Democrats and Republicans are and how terrible Washington is. But when you, when you try to sell that to somebody that barely escaped with their life and the clothes on their back from a hellhole, you know, when you talk to someone who left their homeland because they were going to be imprisoned or killed by the regime, they look at this a little differently. They see it a little more constructively, usually. And so the thing that's an outlier about Ilhan Omar is that she doesn't. Her line is, this is hideous, this is terrible. It could hardly be worse. And you wonder how she gets there based on where she came from. And I think that's what he's saying, and I think that's a very legitimate uh, point. And, and, and In fact, instead of denouncing Rand Paul as some kind of weirdo or racist or whatever, I, I think a, a more reasonable response would be, you know, let's go ask Congresswoman Omar, well, yeah, well, how about that? Why don't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? Senator Rand Paul says he would gladly contribute to a round-trip plane ticket for Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. If she thinks things are so bad here, why doesn't she go back to where she came from? Not to stay, he's not saying leave the country, but make sense of it for us. How can you say America is such a terrible place when it took you in, it built you up, it rescued you and saved you from the hellhole that is Somalia? And there's many hellholes. And maybe you need to refresh your memory. Is that, a, is that such a terrible thing to say? Is that such a terrible way to put it? Especially since some of the most eloquent tributes to American exceptionalism come from new Americans. We hear that all the time. I'm sure you've heard it. Larry is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Larry. How are you doing, Jack? <clears throat> I, um, I admire Rand Paul. I really do, because the way he engages is intelligently. I'm not trying to put anybody down, but he has that tendency to agree to disagree, but respectfully, but still stay firm in who he is because of this nation and uh, him being an American. So he doesn't pull back. He defends. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, a, a probably one of the best ways to find common ground because I would go ahead and gladly put money in to give her a flight over there so she could stay there a month, okay, and see the people and how repressed that they are and how much suffering that Somalia has placed on the shoulders and of, of their people. And mm-hmm. that I think the the, the, the the little click there in Washington that they're always spewing a lot of venom and they're always attacking our values. Well guess what? They're good values and they care about people 
And America is a hardworking people. We're the ones that give the most. We're the ones that die the most. We're the ones that when we go to war, we help build nations, the infrastructure. I mean, when uh, when the World War II and we defeated our foes, we went in to what? To teach the Japanese to rebuild and help rebuild their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and We gave them their country back better than we found it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And yeah, that's very true. You're going to say that we're such a we're, we're so hateful. I'm sorry. You need to go back and get a refresher course. Yeah. And see well said, Larry. That this repressive governments do. So it's a great I, point. I love Rand Paul. He's a good man. Yeah, I do too. Thank you. Thank you. That's really well said. I, you know, I think Rand Paul is, is the way he is because I think I don't know him. I, I think he, I think he had the ideas, and then he got into politics. I mean, look who his dad is. A lot of politicians just get their marching orders and they get their talking points from their party, and some deliver them better than others, and some botch them, and some put them over pretty good like a script. But they are basically party first, ideas second. I think my read on Rand Paul is that he's ideas first, party second. That's why he's sometimes crosswise with Republicans. Remember, even even uh, Trump was was angry at him or frustrated with him sometimes. Um, and you know, you know, that's Rand Paul's job to remind the Republicans sometimes. Hey, we have this thing called the Constitution, guys. You gotta you gotta live with it too. Anyway, um, I thought what he said about Ilhan Omar was said respectfully, and I think you had to you had to intentionally mishear it. To take it as some sort of xenophobic, uh, you know, put down, but but of course there are people who did. You started, Bert. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Here we go. A one and a two and a chick a boom a chick. should never give a license to a man who drives a sleigh and plays with elves. Grandma got run over by a reindeer walking home from our house Christmas Eve. There is so much wonderful Christmas and seasonal music and it's our pleasure to bring little bits and pieces of it to you over the course of the month. This hour is not about that. This hour is about the, you know, the bad apple in the bushel. Those uh, those Christmas songs that got through the, the quality control net somehow. And we're going to count down to what will ultimately be the worst Christmas song of all time. And if you have not heard it, you may be thinking... That's hyperbole, that's exaggeration. How can there be one that's worse than all the others? But once you've heard it, you'll realize it's not only possible, but Jack, you found it. On our way, we're going to hear some of the runners-up. These are songs that are sometimes just really bad, and other times may may have been good to start, but went sour on us over time, maybe overplayed, overused, you know. 
got stuck in your head, not in a good way. So let's get started with our countdown, and we'll start at number 10, the worst Christmas songs and of all time. And at number 10 is the youngest person ever to have a number one hit on Billboard's Top 100 chart. Nineteen fifty-five for that one. Barry Gordon was six years old. He went on to have quite a career in radio, television, movies. In fact, he was even the president of the Screen Actors Guild later on in his adult life. But uh, that is rough. I mean, you have to give it to him for being six. But nothing for Christmas. Number ten at number nine is another one of those. Novelty records that you hear this time of year, whether you want to or not. It's Spike Jones. It's not a bad song when Nat King Cole or Patty Page sings it, but whoa. Wow. Mm, okay. So that's number nine. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Number eight is not one of those uh, novelty songs at all. It's a very big hit. It's all over the radio at this time of year. And I think this one made the list mainly because people just either are tired of it or it is a little bit of an earworm song where once you, I'm warning you now, once you hear even a little of it, you're stuck with all of it. The party's on, the feeling's here, that only comes this time of year, simply In a few minutes, you're going to be wishing this was on a continuous loop. <laughs> you're going to be wishing you could hear this all night. But yeah, this is Paul McCartney, the beloved Paul McCartney, and Wonderful Christmas Time. Now, I'm going to say this. We've included it on our countdown over the years. I've kind of had a change of heart about this song this year. I actually kind of like it now. I think I get what Paul McCartney... I know, right? Weird, but... I kind of think I know what Paul McCartney was doing here. I think he actually meant to create a song that was kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek. So, 
I uh, I don't hate it. I don't hate any of these songs, but you know what I mean. Some of them just... Like, here's one that, you know, again, a legendary performer, but I think he could have given us so much more. Neil Diamond, not even bothering with an original song, just changing up one of his old chestnuts and roasting it over an open fire for Christmas. Take a listen to this. Wish you a very merry cherry, cherry Christmas And a holly, holy holiday too Underneath your tree May there always be Sounds of harmony Not a song sung yeah, So it's a song Just made up entirely of Mary, cherry, cherry Neil Diamond's song titles. You know, Okay, we'll let him get away with it because he's Neil Diamond, right? That's number seven, Cherry Cherry Christmas. And number six is one of those songs that was a moment in time. And why are we still hearing Band-Aid? And do they know it's Christmas? Sentiment, isn't it? Band Aid, one of those 80s supergroups started by Bob Geldof, and it was to raise uh, money for anti famine efforts in Ethiopia. By the way, Ethiopia checked in with us and they said, We're good. Please stop playing this song. We're, we don't want any more to eat. If you'll just, no more. Stop it. Don't play it for us. Don't blame us for this. Um, the song raised a lot of money, and it topped the charts multiple times around the holidays. But I think by now, you know, honestly, this is a meal best digested. We're not there yet, but we're on our way to the number one all-time worst Christmas song ever. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows Jack Riccardi on 550 and 107.1 KTSA We're just gathered together here in the soft glow from the vending machines Enjoying some holiday songs before the madness of the holidays begins. What's that you're saying? Already begun? Oh, sorry. Um, we've been counting down. We're on our way to the number one all-time worst Christmas song. And I know if you have not heard it before, you may be thinking, Oh, I bet I know what it is. I bet you don't know what it is. I'm, I'm sure you don't know what it is. You're probably better off not knowing what it is. But just as your parents had to break the bad news to you about the Tooth Fairy, I'm going to break the bad news to you about this song. But before we get there, let's take a look at what's happening to holiday music. It's changing right before our eyes, you know. Until just a few years ago, for example, this little classic 
was a staple. Everybody played it. All the Christmas music station playlists included Dean Martin and his ilk with Baby It's Cold Outside. But baby, it's cold outside. But baby, it's cold outside. Been hoping that you drop in. I'll hold your hands, they're just like ice. Beautiful, what's your Listen to the fireplace roar. Beautiful, please don't hurry. Put some records. See, this was one of those songs, kind of like, um, I've got my love to keep me warm. That's not really a Christmas song. It's more of a seasonal song. And you could start playing these even earlier than you could play the songs that actually reference Christmas. Everything was fine. Everything was just fine. Until just a few years ago, 2016, and these songwriters, Lydia Liza and Josiah Lemansky, came along and they said, no, no, this is a date rape song. We need to change the lyrics. And so here's what they did to Baby It's cold outside i really can't stay baby i'm fine with that i've got to go away baby i'm cool with that this evening has been, been hoping you get home so very nice i'm glad you had a real good time my mother will start to worry. call her so she knows that you're coming and father will be pacing the floor better get your car up. so really i better scurry yeah no rush should I use the front or back door? Which one are you pulling towards? The neighbors more? might think that you're a real nice girl. Say, what is this dream? I'm a granite LaCroix. I wish I knew how Maybe I'll help to you break out. this spell. I don't know what you're talking about. I to say no, no, no. You reserve sir. the right to say no. At least I'm gonna say that I You try. reserve the right to say no. I really can't oh boy. Stay. Well, you don't have to. It's a, it's a song and a legal document. But even that wasn't enough for this most politically correct year ever. Nope, not enough. So here it is, baby. It's cold outside. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I've gotta go away. I can call you right. This evening has been. I'm so glad that you dropped in. Is Maybe just a happy Oh, we're both adults, so who's keeping what score? Will my friends think? Oh, I think they should rejoice. If I have one more dream. It's your body and your choice. Oh, you really know how. Your eyes are like starlight now. Irving Berlin never had to rhyme anything with your body and your choice. He couldn't have made it today. I, the thing about this version, I don't know if you notice it, 
He seems like he's in a hurry to get rid of her. I don't know. Is he is is Sports Center coming on or or what? I mean, good grief! At least act like you, at least act like you would like her to stay. You know, that's the original has that kind of oh man, I really wish you would stay kind of flattery to it. But it's like he's pushing her out the door. She's down the hall and at the elevator before the song's over. But you better go. Yeah. You better go. Said no guy ever, right? Yeah. Oh, please. You better get going. Okay. So that's what's happening, right? I mean, there's no denying it. But these aren't the worst Christmas songs. Oh, no. We still have those to go. Including at number one, and it is a newsflash, the worst Christmas song of all time. The one that will make all of the others seem not so bad. We're sorry to interrupt this program, but a bulletin has just been handed me. You are just minutes away. You don't know it yet, but you are from hearing the all-time worst Christmas song. I mean, the one that's going to make you think whatever you're thinking it is. Oh, this goes beyond that. Let's continue our countdown now. On our way to number one, we're at number five with a Georgia-based Christian rock group. They call themselves New Song. This is the Christmas Shoes. Sure, I want to buy you shoes. For my mama, please It's Christmas Eve and these shoes are just her size Could you hurry soon? Daddy says there's not much time You see, she's been sick for quite a while And know these shoes will make her smile One or two look beautiful I got to hand it to these guys. They do a lot of great work, and they've had a lot of success in the contemporary Christian music business. Um, it's just, it's a very, very sad song about a kid buying shoes for his dying mother, and I get where they're going with it, but you know, in the real world, if he went up to the counter to buy these shoes, They'd ask him so many questions about joining their discount club and using coupons that mom would be gone by the time he got home with the shoes anyway. I'm just I'm just saying that's that's real life, folks. That's what happens. That's number five, the Christmas shoes. Here's a song that you can't believe even got recorded. At number four, the Mitch Miller Orchestra with vocalist Peggy King. Here's oh, I can't even say the title. Listen to this. I'm gonna Put some glue round the Christmas tree So Santa Claus will stick around all year I'll spread it on the floor, the windows and the See, that's way creepier than Baby It's Cold Outside. 
Like that guy's just trying to get his girlfriend to stay a little longer. This woman is going to imprison Santa Claus by gluing him to the floor. Somebody's been watching Misery, I think. All right, that's number four. So that means we have three more worse than that. And here's number three, John Denver. You know, on second thought, let's glue Santa Claus to the floor because, whoa, wow, please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. All right, so that's John. Again, some of these beloved, you know, entertainers, but just what were they thinking? That gets us to number two, and we have a new song uh, this year at number two on our countdown. It's not new. But it's new to us. Our producer uh, found it. Uh, I, I I worry about sometimes what Don Cooper does in his spare time. That he found this song, but I guess he pulled it off his personal playlist. So I'm not even going to say the name or the name of the band. I think it'll become evident as soon as you hear it why it is number two. On Santa's lap. I guess this is the real reason we had that story the other day about how kids are no longer going to the mall. They're having computer FaceTime with Santa. I guess this is the real reason why. It's all those flatulent children. By now you're thinking, Jack, the 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 you're, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. I mean, what could be worse than these? How could you do worse than the? Oh, we've done so much worse. Let me tell you something. These songs weren't even born when the worst Christmas song of all time was recorded. For, I mean, can you really be ready for? Is anyone really ever ready for 
Our annual playing of the worst Christmas song of all time. And you may have been trying over the course of the last several minutes to guess. Is it going to be this one? Is it going to be that one? It, it, you don't know it. It's it's not... You, you haven't been hearing it on the Christmas music stations or the satellite channels. It's not on your Spotify playlist. Trust me when I tell you it's not. I, I can't even explain why I have it. But I keep it locked away except for once a year just so you can hear it in all of its rich and deep awfulness. The singer is Linda Bennett, who was a veteran of the 50s, 60s, 70s music scene, recorded with a lot of big names, worked with Ricky Nelson, and had some big-time record contracts in her day. The song, she claims in interviews now, doesn't remember actually recording it. I'm going to call her out on that because you couldn't possibly forget being a part of this turkey. There's no way you'd forget this. And um, just to set it up, it's a story song. So in the course of the song, a story is being told and a radio broadcast is being listened to. So the narrator is listening to a Christmas radio broadcast, just so you understand everything that's going on. Here it is from 1975, An Old Fashioned Christmas on KTSA. This is your music, news, and weather station, bringing you the best in Christmas music on this beautiful Christmas Eve. Sorry to interrupt this program, but a bulletin has just been handed me. There's been a serious accident involving the number five bus out of New Haven. The only information we have is that the bus skidded on a patch of ice and slammed into a tree. Stay tuned to this station for further details. Mommy, isn't that the bus? Daddy rides each night. Put your mind at ease. Children, everything's all right. Everyone, don't get excited. Things will be okay. Nothing bad is gonna happen on this Christmas day. It's gonna be a happy, merry 
Ladies and gentlemen, I've just been handed the latest report involving bus number five out of New Haven. And from all indications, we're sorry to report that there were no survivors. Oh my God, this just can't happen. What am I to do? What have I got left in life to look forward to? me down the aisle on my wedding day who is gonna buy me toys and take me out to play daddy daddy merry christmas everybody no it's late and i missed my bus well don't just stand there help me with these presents it's gone Screw those people on the bus. Too bad for them. We don't care about them. Man alive, I don't know. I always feel, I always have mixed feelings at this moment. Like, should we play it? Don't people have enough misery in their lives? But, but the point here is to say, if, if, you, if you've been really annoyed or aggravated by one of those songs that's just on the radio too much, just know that this could be that. What if this was in rotation all the time? What if every time you went to the mall, right? It makes, uh, you know, I don't know, step into Christmas seem not so awful when you get right down to it. What have I got left in oh. life to look forward to? Not this song, I'll tell you that. Linda Bennett, an old-fashioned Christmas, back into the vault for another year. And tonight's JR poll results really quickly here, powered by Stevens Roofing. We asked you, FDA authorizes eye drops that temporarily replace reading glasses. 62% say yes, we will try them. 38% say no thank you. See you back here tomorrow night at 4.